Hello everyone. Welcome to this edition of the ADE Spotlight podcast. I am uh, very excited today. We have a guest with us that uh, I've known for quite some time. One of my favorite people, Jamie Zabala, is here with us to talk about what I'm going to call alternative medicine, although I suspect that Jamie will probably correct me on that. I think there may be a better way to describe what it is that, uh, that we're going to talk about today. But one of the great things about these podcasts is that I get to learn some new things. I have a little bit of, of knowledge about a lot of things, but as somebody has, uh, has told me once, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And I think that's very true. Uh, I like to invite people onto these podcasts that can educate me and educate the listeners uh, to a variety of topics that are of interest to me. Uh, as I've said, uh, I've known Jamie for a long time and watched her develop her own practice. And I thought she'd be a perfect person to come on with us and, uh, and teach us a few things today. So I'm going to introduce Jamie. I'm going to let her talk a little bit about uh, what it is that she does and uh, her journey to how it is that she arrived at what she does. And then uh, talk a little bit about uh, how it may be of use in the treatment of substance use disorders, among other things. Uh, so with that, I want to turn it over to you, Jamie, and have you give us a little bit about your background. And first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, spend with us. I know, uh, I know you're very busy. Uh, Jamie, by the way, uh, is talking to us from lovely Tucson, Arizona. Uh, mm -hmm. Wonderful place. So, uh, Jamie, uh, maybe you can just tell us about yourself or what it is that you do and how you ended up there doing what you do in Tucson. Yeah, sure, Jim. Uh, thank you again for having me today. It's absolutely my pleasure to be a guest on your uh, podcast. Um, so I am a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine. What that means is that I do acupuncture, I do herbal medicine, but I also um, make lifestyle recommendations, exercise recommendations, a little bit of body work. Um, so it's, it's a whole field within its own calling it traditional Chinese medicine. Um, most people just know it as acupuncture, and that's fine to me. Um, I'm happy to be known as that. I've been in practice for seven years for myself. Uh, before that, I went to school. It takes about four years to get your degree um, as a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. Um, that includes clinical rounds, which was really a great adjunct, I thought, to my education. Um, aside from working in the student clinic, I was able to do a section in a cancer center as well as a children's hospital during that time, um, which I think was a really great addition. It, it really got me exposed to the Western world, um, learning how to talk um, to Western medical professionals about what it is that I do as a, a Chinese medical practitioner. Um, and also how to integrate it and talk to patients and languages that they know and that I, I can explain to them further um, what I mean in, in my language. So Chinese medicine is quite a bit different from Western medicine. Um, Jim was saying the term uh, alternative medicine, and that's fine. You can call it alternative medicine. I have no problem with that. Um, some people also call it complementary medicine. Um, in my practice, I actually call it natural medicine, and that's just my own personal opinion and my own personal preference. 
I feel like when it's called alternative medicine, it's it has an implication that it's because nothing else works. So give that a shot as an alternative. Um, complementary, I think, is a nice term to describe it. Um, saying, I think it highlights the idea that acupuncture, Chinese medicine, can work well with other forms of medicine, be it Western medicine, be it um, any other form of healing. Um, I personally prefer just natural medicine, just because it. I think it highlights the fact that we rely on the person's own body, own immune system, own ability to heal, and we use natural substances such as herbs, food, exercise as a method of healing and wellness. Um, so call it what you will, um, but they're all fine descriptions of it. Uh, Jamie, I want to circle back to something you brought up in a few minutes here. You brought up your, your conversation with, uh, shall we say, traditional Western practitioners. I, I think I, 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 that's going to deserve, I think, a few minutes on its own. But I want to I want to circle back. You know, when I was preparing to have this conversation with you, I knew I think I knew that the term alternative medicine was probably not the best one. I think I knew that there was probably a better term. Um, yeah. I wasn't sure what it was. So I did some, as I was doing my research, I came across the uh, acronym CAM and, and I complementary yeah. alternative medicine. And I, I sort of read a description of that. I said, well, that makes sense. I think there, to me, I felt like that was a term that, that uh, maybe was... Uh, a more positive way or maybe had less negative connotation attached to it. And it just made sense to me as I read that that at times it complements traditional medicine and at times it stands alone as an alternative to traditional medicine. And I thought, well, that's probably a fair way to talk about it. But let me let me um, you gave your background a little bit. And uh, mm -hmm. but I, I let me ask the simple question first. Why alternative medicine? Why this path Chinese medicine? Uh, for you, what is it about that that what is that led you down that career path? Um, that's a great question. I also I uh, often wonder that myself. Um, but what it is that I like about Chinese medicine is that it it views the whole person. Um, so when we evaluate a person, our, our initial evaluation of somebody can take. Gosh, I can spend an hour, two hours with a person. Um, for their initial consultation. During that time, we are evaluating their physical health, their mental health, and also their spiritual health. So we say that one a person is composed of their mind, their body, and their spirit. So an ailment in one of those aspects affects the rest of them. Um, I really like that because it treats each person as an individual. So two people might come in with the same complaint and I may ending, end up treating them completely differently, just depending on who they are and all the other aspects of their life. So what ends up happening is we end up formulating a treatment plan that treats the whole person as opposed to the specific ailment or disease that they're complaining of. And when you do that, the whole person gets better. So frequently, um, I treat pain all the time. That seems to be 50% of my practice, no matter what. Um, if a person comes in with back pain, you know, I'll still go through all the questions, figure out why it is that that person's body allowed them to be injured, allow them to have pain that continues for a long time. And um, I'll treat them based on what that reason is. 
And when we do it like that, uh, typically other complaints in the person's life will get better as well. So maybe they'll also be complaining of cold hands and feet, um, difficulty sleeping, maybe some digestive issues. And even though we're not working specifically on that, since we're treating the person themselves, those tend to get better in the process. Um, to me, that just makes sense. Um, I also like the um, ancient nature of the medicine. Um, our oldest text that we actually still use today is 2,500 years old. Um, there's many formulas in that that we still use. Uh, I think that's fantastic because to me, that equates the oldest uh, clinical trial in history. I think um, that being said, it's a very safe form of medicine. Um, that's applicable to all kinds of different ailments. And I just really like that. Um, when I'm treating somebody, my worst case scenario is that they don't get better. <laughs> that's the worst thing that can happen to me. And I think that that's a fantastic risk, um, knowing that I can't actually make anyone worse. I can't make them suffer. Um, it just would happen that I'm just not the practitioner or this just isn't the form of medicine. So all those things together make me, or made me choose uh, traditional Chinese medicine as a career path. Um, I just find it as a great way to honor the human and their health um, in, in a way of treatment. I want to just pause for a second here, and Jamie, and maybe mm -hmm. there's there's so much in in what you just said about the different services you provide for all of the different ailments and time constraints are not going to allow us to talk about all those things. So yeah. let, let me, if you would put out uh, uh, maybe a way for people to get a contact with you, if they have questions about their specific uh, situations, how could they contact you to dive a little bit deeper uh, into the specifics of their yeah. case? Yeah, I'm happy to provide that. Um, they can visit my website, which is www.tucsonchinesemedicine.com, um, or you can just email me at jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at tucsonchinesemedicine.com. And I'd like to emphasize, if anyone's hearing this and they do have questions, please don't be afraid to reach out to me. Um, I really love talking about it, and if it's something I'm not able to help you with, um, I probably know somebody who can so please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Great, great. Let's let's go back though, Jamie. When you made uh, a decision to pursue mm -hmm. this path, I yeah. I'm I'm guessing, although I could very well be wrong, that uh, mm -hmm. you ran into some resistance or some people oh questioning what it is you're doing, and maybe talk about talk a little bit about it. I, I I'm very curious. You know, my my father. I'm gonna. To go off on a tangent for just a second. My father, sure. uh, was, his career was as a pharmacist. And mm -hmm. he uh, was a man, he had a, a great sense of humor. And in our home growing up, we had uh, artwork on the wall that were, uh, most of them were sort of reproductions of, you know, turn of the century uh, advertisements for elixirs. You know, they, that these yeah. cure-all elixirs, right? It cured everything from you know, baldness to to fatigue and weight loss issues or, you know, whatever the case may be. And they and uh, and and uh, so he had a pretty good humor about that. Um, yeah. But but inherent in those is is the idea that these were sort of snake oil salesmen and that these things didn't really work. 
uh, and uh, and it was only suckers who would avail themselves of these kinds of things. And you know, it's, it, it it was meant in that kind of humor. So so you know, we fast forward now to, you know, when you're making a decision, and uh, and and saying to folks, this is the uh, this is the career path I want to take. What kind of resistance did you run into? What kind of things did people say to you about either complementary alternative medicine or that as a career path or that as a viable, uh, uh, you know, treatment method? Yeah, you know, um, the same things that people still say to me today, honestly. Um, I get a lot of, well, you have to believe in it in order for it to work, or um, I love when people ask me, does that really work? <laughs> it's hard to not give a smarty pants uh, answer to that. Get um, things like, oh, was that a weekend course at the massage school where you learned how to do that? Or, um, you know, that stuff doesn't work. I read that it's all placebo or... Uh, you know, I get that all the time um, to this day. Um, of course, when I first started acupuncture school, it was harder for me to um, defend myself. <laughs> I've gotten a lot better with it. Um, but I think it's interesting to, I think a lot of those comments come from people just not being educated about what it is, where it came from, and what it's used for. You know, like I said previously, it's been in existence you know, for thousands of years, honestly, archaeological evidence points to being closer to four to 5,000 years old. Um, I'm saying, you know, I mentioned earlier that our oldest text that we still use is 2,500 years old. So it's very old. And if you if you go to China today, there are still hospitals that use Chinese medicine as, as a main form of healing. Um, in fact, a lot of American students will go to those hospitals and spend months um, just seeing how it's used in its native land. Um, so, so there, in most of the world, it's it's not snake oil. It's not you know witchcraft or voodoo or all the other things that people think it is. It's people I think in this country only think that because it's still new to this country. Um, and it's actually, I think it's in 72, was acupuncture's debut in America. And it's actually an interesting story that I'll, I'll tell you if you, if you have a moment. Um, whereas actually, President Nixon went to China um, on business. It was a big deal that he was going to China because it had been a long time since the American president had been there. And um, somebody who was with him, I can't remember if it was his Secretary of State or... Uh, some other official was over there and had an attack of uh, appendicitis and was to the hospital and when he was in the hospital received acupuncture as pain management and um, part of his treatment and it worked so effectively he was absolutely amazed. Um, of course on their return to the United States, I, gosh, some major publications again, <laughs> I'm terrible with the specific facts but I believe it was the New York Times ran an article on his uh, um, experience with acupuncture. And from there, it really took over like wildfire. I remember reading about this years ago, and there were actually instances and in people who went to China, learned a couple things really quick, came back, rented floors and hotel rooms, <laughs> and would treat hundreds of people in a day. Um, I'm not saying that that's a good thing or that it works or whatever. Um, it's probably the origin of some of the uh, bad rumors. Um, however, the point being that it really came to the States and became popular in the early 70s. 
so gosh less than 50 years ago um, it's been here and in that time of course growing very slowly and competing with the Western system of doing things um, and so so all that to say it's just new to the states it just hasn't really reached reached the main focus um, of the population and that's why a lot of people still consider it to be snake oil is just because it's unfamiliar and it's also kind of weird um, that somebody could come in with a bellyache and I can put a couple needles on their leg and they suddenly feel better. I, you know, I'm not going to say that that doesn't sound weird. It does. Um, but I think that's where the origin of, of those misconceptions come. Um, one of the other great things is, you know, I've been in private practice for seven years, but I've been involved uh, immensely with Chinese medicine for over a decade now. I've actually seen the patient population change in that time. Whereas when I first started, it was the type that you would consider would go to an acupuncturist. So a lot of hippies, a lot of what you would say, earthy, crunchy types, um, outside of the box thinkers. Um, so whereas now, my clinic is mostly retirees, um, people that you wouldn't consider um, seeking out uh, Chinese medicine as a form of treatment. So. Um, real live cowboys, <laughs> miners. Um, I have quite a few police officers, border patrol agents. So the type of folks you wouldn't consider are now starting to turn to it. Um, the other cool thing is that insurance companies more and more are starting to cover it. Um, Arizona here, it's a little slow for insurance companies to start covering it. Um, but United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, some of the government agencies are covering, and I still have some friends in California who are practicing, and they're telling me that most insurance is covering it. So I think those uh, um, facts really point to the idea that Chinese medicine, acupuncture in specific, is really growing in acceptance and popularity. Um, and the gift of that is less and less, I hear, um, the comments of it's, you know, voodoo or witchcraft or just a placebo, this, that, and the other thing. I hope that's helpful. Oh, very, very. Do you think that age has anything to do with it or a location? Are there, uh, I, I would imagine that there are pockets of the country where it may be more popular than others. Uh, is oh, that, is that, absolutely. that's my thought. I don't know if that's an accurate thought or not. Absolutely. Um, I think mostly region. Um, so it seems like both coasts, so West Coast and East Coast, um, not only are where the schools that are very um, well thought of, well esteemed are located, but there's also many, many, many practitioners everywhere. You know, I learned, I went to school in San Diego, and when I was there, it was difficult to walk even a couple blocks without seeing a sign for acupuncture or Chinese medicine. Um, and I, I've heard that the same is true on the East Coast. Um, the closer you get to the middle of the country, the, the less common it becomes. Um, as for age, it's interesting because I think the younger generations are more prone to jump on the Chinese medicine bandwagon, the acupuncture bandwagon. However, I would say probably 95% of my population or patient population is 55 and over. So it seems like the older generations are starting to actually act on it, where the younger ones are excited about it, if that makes sense. 
Oh, it does. It does. And I, yeah. I guess I'm not yeah. surprised by either one of those things that, you know, the fact that it would be popular on the coasts more so than mm -hmm. the middle of the country doesn't really surprise me, I guess. That's what I would, that's what I would assume. Mm -hmm. But let, let's, let's cut to the chase here. There are, sure. un, under the umbrella of uh, complementary alternative medicine, you, you've mentioned acupuncture, but there, there are other things that fall under that umbrella. Uh, and I guess I'm wondering, do you have any idea of uh, what percentage of people are seeking out these various services? Do you have any any statistical information that says this is how often they're used or or which of these services uh, are the most popular? You know, that's, that's actually a question that could use some research. Because um, I, I, I honestly didn't know. Um, so I was looking it up a couple days ago, and it was difficult to find statistics newer than 2007. Um, however, the statistics in 2007 said that 3.1 million Americans had used just acupuncture um, in the past year. So that left out the field of massage, chiropractic, um, naturopathic medicine, all of that. So I think 3.1 million Americans in 2007 for just one form of, you know, complementary alternative medicine is pretty good. Um, so, so again, if, if somebody is listening to this and decides that they want to do a survey or take a poll, that would be much needed. Um, an interesting statistic is that Chinese medicine is, you know, what you could consider a folk medicine since it is the native medicine of China. Um, so, you know, any native medicine falls into the category of complementary alternative medicine, if you think about it like that. And when you look worldwide, um, statistics show that 80% of the human population worldwide uses their folk medicine, Chinese medicine being one of them, as their main form of medicine. So the main country that throws it off of not being closer to 100% is the United States. So most countries still rely on their form of folk medicine. I think that's an astounding number, 80% of the human population. When people come to you, Jamie, do they, I suppose what the question is, what came first, the chicken or the egg? So do they come to you and say, I'd like to try acupuncture, or do they come to you and say, this is what is wrong with me, what do you suggest I do, and, mm -hmm. and you present them with acupuncture as an option? Um, you know, both. Uh, not very commonly do I have somebody come in um, and just, just because they want to try acupuncture, though it does happen. Some people are just curious. But typically people come in with very, very specific causes or very specific reasons, we should say, where um, and typically it has to do with pain or something related to that because they've heard that acupuncture or Chinese medicine can help. Although I do have, you know, quite a handful of other unique and interesting cases outside of that. Um, so typically they've heard from somebody else um, who's seen me or they've read about acupuncture, Chinese medicine, in the treatment of their cause and they come in specifically for that. Um, usually I'm able to help them, sometimes I'm not, and, you know, I'm always happy to refer to a person I know that could. It's interesting. You, you've mentioned that a large number of the people you work with come to see you for pain. Now, yeah. 
what, are they also being seen by a, a traditional doctor? Are they on pain medications? If so, how, what do you do about that? How do, how do you do you have them uh, continue on whatever course of pain management they're on? Do you try to get them off of pain medications if they are on them? How, how, how do those two uh, schools of thought coexist with somebody uh, who, who might have a chronic pain issue? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and it is quite difficult to work with. Um, of course, if it's on a pharmaceutical under supervision of their doctor, I never try to convince them to quit. Um, that's between them and their physician. However, I do have quite a few patients who have relied heavily on pain management medications and are trying to quit them because of physical symptoms. Um, you know, let's face it, a lot of the heavier pain medications have severe side effects, including not being able to work, not being able to drive, and just not feeling present in your life. And sometimes you have people who take them and still have the pain still have the pain anyway. And so that ends up being um, a decent chunk of the people that I work with. Um, if somebody is looking to quit taking their pain medication, I'm happy to help. And it's a very effective method of helping that process. Of course, I encourage them to be in contact with their, their uh, Western medical professional to make, sure that it's, to make sure that it's a safe reduction in the medication. Um, as we know, uh, medical professionals are, are starting to try to wean patients off of opiates specifically um, and not prescribe them as much, which has left quite a few people in a pickle, um, especially people who have had chronic pain and who have become dependent on those medications for managing pain. So they're starting to feel desperate and they're starting to feel withdrawal. Um, which is where Chinese medicine acupuncture is really excellent. Um, so I'm not sure, have you ever heard of the organization called NADA, N-A-D-A? Yes. Okay, yeah, the National Acupuncture Detoxification Association. Um, for your listeners, I believe, what is their website? Um, it's www.acudetox.com. Um, it's something, it's, it's a really great organization and it has a lot to do with pain management and prescription um, management as well. So as the name implies, it helps the detoxification process. Um, NADA is, it's based on the use of, of auricular therapy. So auricular therapy, um, that name means the ear. So auricular referring to the oracle, the ear. So we see the ear as being a microsystem of the whole body, um, meaning that you can treat anywhere on the body through the use of the ear. Now there's five points in particular on the ear that help to calm the spirit, uh, regulate the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, um, assist the liver and the kidneys in detoxification, and to help control uh, cravings. So it's a wonderful protocol that um, Actually, anybody can get certified to do. You don't have to be an acupuncturist in order to get certified. You do have to be certified through the NADA program in order to do this. Um, but what it is, it, it doesn't ever make anybody want to quit. 
the addiction that they're quitting. However, it makes the process a lot faster and a lot less painful. It helps to regulate the mood, so it controls any mood swings that the person might um, encounter on the detoxification process. Um, it helps the, detoxi the it helps the detoxification to go faster. Um, and it also helps to curb cravings along the process. So those are some major points that I think are really important to people who are um, trying to quit opiates in their, in, in their um, quest of managing their pain as well. Um, so when I do have somebody who approaches me who wants to um, manage their pain naturally while quitting you know, opiates, this, that, and the other thing, I, I tend to start them on an acupuncture regime to manage the pain while they're detoxifying so that they don't have the, um, the meantime of, of quitting the opiates, being in pain, and then starting you know, acupuncture and Chinese medicine to manage. It makes the transition a lot easier and a lot smoother for people. And through using Chinese medicine and acupuncture to manage pain and to get off of the heavy medications, um, it's really an improvement in the quality of life for people. So a lot of people are able to return to work. Um, honestly, relationships are salvaged. Um, some things can happen there, of course. Um, people are able to get control of their pain, start exercising, start strengthening whatever it is that needs to be strengthened that um, is allowing the pain to get worse. Um, so it really brings back a quality of life when people are able to do that. Um, I'm honored, actually, to be part of that process for so many people. That's, that's fascinating to me. You know, I, I come out of a background uh, where I worked in a, in a much more traditional setting where detox was managed medically. Mm -hmm. and, and what you know, you're, you're talking about a completely different approach. To detox, yeah. I think, and I think that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very. It seems like I, I can't look anywhere at any news source without running into some article about um, what they're calling an opioid crisis now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know, I think now, now this is not the only uh, way to look at this, but the, the, you know, the population, Jamie, of course, as you know, is aging. Rapidly, mm -hmm. uh, the baby yeah. boom generation is is rapidly aging, and there mm -hmm. is going to be. I think this this idea that we need to look at the medications that the older generation is using, and might there be some better way? So when you were talking about using acupuncture to help with detox. Uh, that really got my attention. I think that's I think that's pretty cool. I think uh, do do you know of any any studies to to show the the, the effectiveness of that? Um, using acupuncture for detox. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, if you go to the um, the NADA website, the um, acudetox.com, you'll find study after study um, that they have posted on their website um, that that shows the effects of it. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I did write down some statistics for you today. Um, so I found that over 500 programs in the United States use acupuncture in addition for addiction control 
Um, and if you look worldwide, it's over 1,500 programs that use acupuncture as part of their addiction programs. Um, that includes, you know, addiction centers, um, psychiatric hospitals, prisons, uh, disaster relief, uh, believe it or not. And, um, you know, all different types of mental health settings are starting to use it, um, you know, based on uh, based on the research and the effectiveness that's been shown through other programs like that. That's, well, that, that's wonderful. But let me, you know, this idea, though, of the older uh, generation made me think mm -hmm. of the issue of, of, of palliative care. And, mm, yes. I, and I'm wondering, do you see a role for Chinese medicine in, in, this, uh, in that area, in the area of palliative care? Yes, absolutely I do. And, you know, unfortunately through my practice, I have had several patients who have had to, you know, use palliative care for uh, end-of-life situations or end-of-life scenarios. Um, and I do think it's wonderful that for that. It, it can do a lot of things. Oftentimes when somebody is in palliative care, um, the number of medications can become overwhelming for them. Um, so acupuncture, it helps in quite a few ways. Um, you know, we've been talking about ways of quitting medications, but it can also help the body to be more receptive to them as well. Um, you know, I never want anybody to think that just because I practice Chinese medicine that I'm against pharmaceuticals or Western medicine at all. Um, in fact, I think they work well together. And oftentimes in the palliative settings, there can be medications that are, you know, used to offset effects of other medications, which are used to offset effects of other medications, and, and down that whole chain. Um, whereas if the medications that are necessary for the person are causing the side effects, you can use acupuncture and Chinese medicine to alleviate the, the side effects from the medications which are necessary. Does that make sense? It does. Where, yeah, yeah, and oftentimes you can help the body to be more receptive to them, to help them to work better, um, which I think is a nice and compassionate thing. Um, there's another aspect to acupuncture in Chinese medicine that I always joke about as being um, the bonus side effect, which is even if you're not going for um, a stress relief treatment or you know helping with anxiety or depression or anything, acupuncture in itself can be very calming and relaxing. And most people just report even as they're walking out the door that they just feel in a better mental state than they did when they came in, um, which I think is a wonderful addition to any form of palliative care to have that overall enhanced sense of well-being. Jamie, this is uh, this has been great. I I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I, I, but I, I want to. Our guest today has been Jamie Sabala. She's going to uh, give us some contact information again about how you can reach out to her uh, with any questions you have about anything we covered today, or uh, there may have been things that uh, you wished we had talked about that we didn't have time to get to. So. I'm going to get, encourage you to get a hold of Jamie, and I'm going to ask her to tell us how to do that in just a minute. But I want to, I want to throw a little curveball in here, Jamie, and talk about something that that you know may be outside of your area of expertise. But I'm going to ask it anyway, be, because it's a 
it's an ongoing conversation. When I talk to, to, to people um, around the country, um, mm-hmm. in, in when we're looking at, uh, at working with our substance use partners, um, mm-hmm. we, the, the idea of medical marijuana comes up quite often. Mm-hmm. And there's a variety of, opini- of opinions on, on that topic. Here in Michigan, where I'm talking to you from, we have legal medical marijuana. Uh, I don't. I mm-hmm. actually I don't know about Arizona. Maybe you can tell us that. Um, but I'm wondering yeah, it, if if you have an opinion about that, or is it in, in any way related to what it is that you do, either directly or tangentially related to what we would call complementary alternative medicine? Um, it is absolutely related, and it is here. Um, it is legal here in Arizona as well. Um, a lot of people hope that I'm able to write prescriptions for it. However, I'm not. Um, I, my personal opinion is that I think it's something that can be very good and very bad at the same time. Um, I think it's susceptible to abuse. Um, however, you know, abuse of such isn't as detrimental as abuse of things like opiates are. Um, And it is considered to be a form of complementary alternative medicine. Um, In my own practice, I have seen people turn to medical marijuana to control pain that they just weren't able to get under control any other way. And I'm a huge supporter of that. If that's what you need and it's not going to destroy your liver or your kidneys or your stomach or your nervous system, then I think it's a good thing. Um, also, people who have struggled with insomnia, things like that, I've seen it to be very, very helpful for. Um, of course, it's. I think uh, um, there is need for discussion about THC versus CBD. Um, I tend to be a huge uh, proponent for CBD, which is the non-psychoactive component of marijuana. It's the cannabinoids. Um, it's shown to be anti-inflammatory. It's shown to be, um, shoot, what is the word? Um, oh, you know, uh, antioxidant, that's the word. <laughs> um, and it can be very, very calming to the system uh, in general. It also helps the immune system, helps healthy soul, bleh, healthy cell generation. Um, and, and, again, it's the non non-psychoactive component, and that's legal in all 50 states. It's quite expensive, however, um, you can get it fairly readily. Um, Jamie, we should... What else? Yeah, I think if, that's if, it. If, you, <laughs> if you'd be willing, Jamie, we should have you back on, and we should spend some more time talking about that, more time than we're able to give it right now. Uh, I would love to have that conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, tell people how they can, again, get a hold of you. Now, we're going to have people listening to this from uh, all around the country. I know that you're in Tucson, but I think uh, you have some information on your website, or you're certainly, uh, I'm going to assume, would be willing to talk to people if they call you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the best way to contact me is through my website, which is www.tucsonchinesemedicine.com. There's a contact us link, and if you go to that link, you'll find my phone number as well as my email address. Um, if you don't feel like going there and you just want to email me, um, you can email me at Jamie at Tucson Chinese Medicine. That's J-A-M-I-E at TucsonChineseMedicine.com. Once again, uh, we've been joined by Jamie Zabala, and I'm just, Jamie, just so thankful that you took the time.
uh, to talk to us. I have a feeling that we sort of barely scratched the surface here, but uh, I know more than I did when I started this conversation, and I hope that the people who listen to this do as well. Very good. It was my pleasure, Jim. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADE Spotlight Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, please feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out ADE Solutions, a new website from ADE. There you will find a variety of quizzes and assessments covering a whole range of behavioral health related topics including substance use, gambling, mental health disorders, eating disorders, and the like. If you have concerns about yourself or a loved one in these areas, uh, please uh, access the website and check out the assessments. Or if you simply want to expand your knowledge on these topics, on the education tab on that website, we have a variety of quizzes uh, as well as other podcasts similar to the one that you just listened to. You can find that at www.ade.solutions, or you can link to it from our corporate website, www.adeincorp.com.